morning, ladies and gentlemen, friends and listeners, and welcome to episode five of the Skill and Bones radio podcast, a show about games and geek culture coming to you from the wet coast of beautiful Bellingham, Washington. My name is Bradley Lines, and I am both a once proud servant of the corpse god Emperor, reduced to repeating a fading signal beacon through a reverberating skull left aloft by a long forgotten technology, and one of a trio of hosts coming to you today. Sitting next to me is the largest and fiercest of fungal based life forms, sitting on 23 kilotons of more DACA, war boss Lauren Tinsley. Hello, Lauren. Good morning, and thank you for having me yet again on such an audacious and August podcast. Just say wah. Wah! Just say pretty verbose for an orc. And across from me is our very own warp drugged short pants torture elf, Mr. Kevin Seacack. Welcome, Kevin. <laughs> short pants? <laughs> we should not fungus. <laughs> and most importantly, welcome to our host and guest this morning, owner and proprietor of Dark Tower Games, the only home court for gaming in this town of 80,000, Mr. Nathaniel Williams. Thanks for having me. We have come together today to discuss the one that brought us, the Warhammer 40,000 universe and all things entailed in that. We're going to talk about the books that we have read, and they are numerous and many. Yes. We are going to talk about the video games that exist for the Warhammer universe, and they are numerous and many. And we are going to talk about uh, the big one, the big bad, 30-year running war game, Warhammer 40,000. Thanks for being the Sid Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that was a little bit uh, clunky, but it got there. Uh, we're out of practice. It's yeah. Been, yeah. So I got to get the rust off. We uh, we took a month off in order to uh, not record. Actually, in truth, we did record, <laughs> but the uh, recording turned out to be a little bit, uh, let's call it subpar quality. And so we really want to bring the best possible game that we can to this uh, podcast. And uh, so we decided to just jettison that one altogether. Did we? Did know. you delete the whole thing? Oh, I have it. No. We, we should totally we should just find that. like snippets oh, yeah. and do like a clip outtake. show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're, they're, it'll, it'll hit the outtake reel. That's for sure. Oh, okay. oh, don't worry it's about that. fucking outtake. <laughs> <laughs> yes, There's that no entire show was taken show. out to the back and shot. Um, so. There was some inebriation involved. It, yeah, there was, and uh, so we're gonna we're gonna podcast sober. I think going going or mostly sober, uh, going here on out. Sober, sober. For yeah, now. yeah. Until that stuff kicks in, whatever oh. that's gonna do to you, I don't know. Start we're gonna find out. <laughs> Gibbering in the corner. Shall we um, start with just a quick update on what we've got planned and uh, what's coming up here? Because the reason we're talking about 40k this week, this month, is because there's an event happening soon that I know Kevin, you're playing in. Um, I'm beer caddying. You're beer caddying? <laughs> I, probably Again? I probably won't play this time. Yeah, because last, last year you stepped in. We're talking about the OFCC, the Ordo Fanaticus Club Challenge, which, Kevin, what is that? It's a gaming event put on by a gaming group, Ordo Fanaticus, out of Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's an invite-only team-based 40K event uh, where winning your games is only one-third of, of what's important. Uh, painting scores and sportsmanship are equally important. Equally weighted, so it's a pretty cool environment. Uh, fun games, cool dudes. This is and something that that the Bellingham Warhamsters have been sending teams down to for the last six years running, five years running. Uh, I don't remember. I've been there for I think I think this will be my sixth year if I remember right. Okay, and they're four man teams playing in uh, rotation against other four man teams. Yeah, and um, it's a it's a good time. It's a they, they have uh, custom scenarios uh, they set up for playing. Although last year we played mostly just the Maelstrom of War stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, they, but there are all kinds of extra little achievements that you can get for uh, performing particularly well or doing particular things in your games. That'll get you uh, bonus points towards the overall team championships yeah. at the end of the weekend. Pretty uproarious time. I'm not going this year. 
What? <laughs> I had my I had my convention uh, already this year. I, I went down to KublaCon down in uh, San Francisco for the board game competition down there, and um, so I'm missing out on OCC this year, which is uh, sad. But uh, it's a damn shame. It is what damn it is. Damn shame. Yeah. yeah. I think I have to agree with Kevin's use of the word uh, event over tournament. It's it's more of an event. Uh, the reason why I like OCC so much is they push hobby more so than any other tournament that I've ever been to. Yeah, you yeah. get some really gorgeous stuff down there. Yeah, our first year that uh, Brad and I were on a team together, and uh, our friend Jason from shoot another name of their po- oh Inside yeah. the Gamer podcast uh, oh, was on there. The plug. Yeah, and who else was our fourth? It was you, me, Nathan, and Jason. Nathan, that's right. Oh man, I forgot Nathan even played forty k. It's been yeah, so long. Really. But yeah, we I mean we went into that with no expectations. You know, weren't particularly competitive forty k players. You know, didn't really know what we were doing. We got second place the first year because we. Happened to be good sports about it and, you know, had some nice looking armies overall, except for mine. But uh, anyway, nowadays, it's the only reason I get any painting done. They could have had first, Kevin. They could have had first. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Probably I think they kind of blew out our expectations for years moving forward. And uh, and <laughs> yeah, we might have slacked a little bit uh, yeah. going ahead. Just yeah. rested on the laurels of uh, uh, <laughs> of being good sports by by providing booze to the other players. It's uh, it's a pretty easy way to do it's it. Good strategy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it worked. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> it's definitely, I think, one of the preeminent, or was at least one of the preeminent West Coast events. But now, now last year you went down as a beer caddy, but you uh, actually got roped into playing a couple of games. No, last year I actually went on a team. That the two years before that I got roped in. Ah, okay. Last year you were playing your thirteen solitaires. Yeah, totally, yeah. <laughs> totally, 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 completely, completely, completely illegal forgot in about every that way. Completely. <laughs> Forgot about that army. That was crazy. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Get shot off the board. Yeah, or don't and or kill everything. Um, didn't happen. <laughs> did you win a single game? No. Oh, I thought you Wait. did. I thought you won one. It wasn't. A, it wasn't official. My my team went out drinking the night before, and everyone failed to show up for round one on Sunday morning. Oh my god! <laughs> At which point, I forfeited for my team, and then I did play that one game, but it didn't count. It was against Grey Knights, and I just walked right over them. That's crazy. <laughs> Yeah. How effective is that at uh, hiding? Like when you got such, such small individual models, I imagine you can probably jump from one piece of train to the other with that 12-inch move. I didn't go that route. I, no? I went for fun games. I went to get shot off the board. I went so you could them. have played it better, but you were like, I, I'm just going <laughs> to run right at him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite opponent pins. Tink, tink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really that's really the goal of the OFCC, I think, is to get those favorite opponent pins and just and just go down and have a good time. Um, sportsmanship is really the name of the game when it comes to this event and yeah. the hobby and the yeah, yeah. and the those hobby. two yeah. are like paramount. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and being sustained drunk. For yeah. two days straight. Man, that's there is a lot of intoxication. And I got to say, that's one reason why I was I found it easy to give it a pass this year. What? I just had, I couldn't do another year of uh, the of maintaining the level of uh, debauchery that, the, yeah. that that event brings. Uh, I know that not everybody participates in that, but really, once you start, it's hard not to go hard. I take it as a personal challenge. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was my problem. <laughs> Last year, we had one member end up uh, underneath a table. Sleeping <laughs> under the table, yeah, yeah. That was a good game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, sure. the first half was pretty exciting. <laughs> uh, made for a good photo, anyway. Uh, that's true. It's like the wig, I can just see the, the guy just standing there shaking his dice, and then he just falls over. <laughs> More of a "I'll be right back" kind of situation. Never returned to the table. It was this. 
This translates well to yeah. Thanks for the radio. A good pantomime radio. Uh, you got that at home, right? Yeah. <laughs> that was the sound of a forehead slowly descending to a table, uh, and it worked on all levels. Um, well, let's let's <laughs> let's see if we can uh, talk about the uh, 40k miniatures game uh, in full in our third segment. Let's let's try and bring this back around to just our usual format of. Uh, no, this is the usual format. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's yeah, fair. That's true. fair. And so let's let's get into talking talking about uh, some of the 40k novels in just a minute. I feel the warp overtaking me. It is a good pain. Do you hear the voices too? It is as though a thousand mouths cry out in pain. The blood pit overflows with the red acre of the Imperium's finest. You! Find me more souls to corrupt. Take me to them, that I may render judgment. More blood for the blood god! Worldsmithindustries.com, originally created after a couple of successful Kickstarters. They're makers of terrain resin for tabletop wargaming. Current offerings include a variety of walls, water features, and some scatter terrain. The area terrain system involves a number of area terrain bases into which you can plug things like trees and rocks and giant crystals. There are also blank bases that can be used to make custom inserts or just make some open space. You can mix and match. It's easy to make a variety of terrain types just by switching out inserts. Because it's resin, it's a lot more durable than a lot of scratch-built terrain. It's highly detailed and really easy to paint. Skill and Bones listeners can get 10% off their orders by entering the code Skill and Bones at checkout. Go to WorldSmithIndustries.com. I've heard it argued rather successfully that the thing that brings people into 40k and keeps them in is the the story behind everything because 40k is I think in my perspective is told through the eyes of the Imperium of Man which makes sense because we're all humans but uh, what that means is there's uh, several armies that pull from this lore there's the Imperial Guard or what are they called now? They got They're called the Imperial Guard. They will always be called the Imperial Guard. <laughs> Do not call them anything else because they are the goddamn Imperial Guard. On this podcast, we're <laughs> the Imperial Guard. Now get the fuck off my lawn, kid. <laughs> Astromilitarium is the word you're looking for. Thank I can't you. believe those words fell out of my mouth just oh my now. God. It's so dirty. Go gargle. Freshen it up. It's terrible. Uh, space Marines in all their flavors. But the root of the 40K universe comes from the Space Marines, and there used to be many more of them, but then there is a division amongst the brothers, and it's all very sad, and I'm not going to go into this right at this moment. But this will leave us a good starting point for the rest of the books, filling in the backstory on why these races and where the conflict has arisen from. One of my favorite series there is the Gaunt's Ghost series. By I love Gaunt's Ghost. Love yeah. it. It was one of my first series that I picked up. I liked it because Dan Abnett writes some really great characters, but they're in the infantry. And not only are they in the infantry, but they're specialist infantry. So they go in for the really hard and difficult, dangerous jobs, right? So you're losing characters left and right. Yeah. Dan Abnett is probably, since you were, t- since you were saying you don't actually have any kind of uh, background in the novels, mm-hmm. um, Dan Abnett is probably the author you want to pick up and read first. Is he yeah. the best? He's, he's I, I think, the best of the... Of, Were there stable? Cadre? Stable? Yeah, yeah stable. Yeah. There you go. The stable of, of uh, 40K writers. <laughs> what? Nothing. Oh, um, <laughs> I, I agree. Dan Abnett's my favorite overall, but I think Aaron Dembski-Bowden Aaron is Dembski-Bowden's, yeah. really good, too. Uh, he doesn't have nearly as much content, though, so no. I still think Dan Abnett's the guy to go to. No, but in terms of does he write some of the newer stuff? Or? Yeah. No, that was Nick Kind that did Salamanders. Yeah, Aaron Dembski-Bowden, he's got, he does, has some of the Horse Heresy books, but 
Okay. Dan Abnett wrote the original Horus Heresy trilogy, the Gaunt's Ghost books, the Eisenhorn books, Eisenhorn the books and Ravner books. books. Yeah, and, and did he write Fulgrim as well? No. Was that Graham McNeil? I think that was Graham McNeil. I think so too. That yeah. sounds right. Yeah, he did the first three and then he didn't do another one for until like the, I think the Mechanicum one or something like that. I don't remember. He stepped out for a bit after doing the yeah. original trilogy yeah. of Horus Heresy. Well, he was working on the other stuff too. The the uh, all of the he's he's so prolific. He's got so many books in this universe. Comic books too. Comic Abnett? books as well. Yeah, yeah Dan yeah. Abnett. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's done some like writing for X Men and some small other things too. Right. Yeah. Mm. Uh, my favorite of them are the uh, Eisenhorn and Ravener books. I have not yet picked up the Eisenhorn versus Ravener. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I want to go back and reread the mm. first couple trilogies before I get into the third trilogy, since uh, I've sort of lost the background for that that I had. Those books were uh, good enough; they even pulled my wife in. <laughs> she, really? Yeah, she's the only thing that she's ever gotten into in terms of the uh, 40k universe has been the Ravener and Eisenhorn books. Did she yeah. tell you why? I'm just kind of curious. No, no. Did she try any others, or is that? The yeah, first one? yeah. I, t- I passed a couple along to her, and uh, you know, space marines just don't do it for, uh, for yeah. her in any sort of meaningful way. And I and I can understand that because a lot of the times I get lost in a lot of the uh, space marine books that are out there. I liked a couple of the uh, things out of the ultramarines omnibus, but by and large, the space marine stories just don't do it for me. <clears throat> yeah. I like the um, the greater universe of the Imperium. Is that because uh, of the content, or because of the who wrote them? It's the content. Okay. I mean, I, because I've read, I've read just books. Just not into it. It's yeah, hard to relate to a superhuman character that like is designed to come through everything unscathed. I mean, it's not that interesting. Which is why the Gaunt's Ghosts is yeah, yeah. so cool. Is yeah. is really attractive because they are they are the essentially humans. just human characters. Yeah. yeah. Space Marines, they're always so hung up in all the trappings of honor and the ritual. You yeah. know, of, yeah. of being a Space Marine is yeah. always so similar across all the books. It's all they know. Yeah. Right. I mean. I think that's why the Horus Heresy was so uh, good for the Space Marines because that was some drama that was outside of the the ritual of honor and and, and battle prowess. I'm sure, Marines were dying like crazy too. Oh, they yeah. were, but like the byplay and how the schisms between the brothers and how that how that all fell out and stuff yeah. like that was in now some people of the that were really good for people that don't know what the Horus Heresy is. The Horus Heresy is the huge schism inside the uh, 40k universe. It's it's really where they draw a lot of the source material because it made the warp. That's where the warp came from, right? No, well, the, the warp, warp pre-existed. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah, the okay. Horus Heresy was just was just uh, uh, Horus being affected by demons from the warp and taking half of the Space Marines off to form his own uh, army in order to overthrow the Emperor. Yeah. But that was the beginning of the fall of mankind, right? Yeah. 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 That was the, the Civil War. Yeah, the Civil War. They, they lost tons of technology. And If you want to get that. straight to that, though, the oh. the fall of man was already in progress. The way that the books that are sitting here in front of you went, would, would have it described. I went back and reread through some of the original fiction of the Warhammer universe, the stuff that is in the back of the book, the, of the Rogue Trader book, the very first one written by Rick Priestley in 1986. was uh, when. No. <laughs> and the there's words of Rick Priestley. Yeah, exactly. The words of Rick Priestley. The fiction originally had it such that the warp existed and was this infinite alternate dimension through which mankind could uh, travel ships in order to reach farther out into space. I mean, the science fiction in Rogue Trader is much less hellscape, you know, death uh, cult kind of stuff. That s- stuff comes later. I can get to where that comes in just a second. But the original stuff was more involved in almost harder sci-fi of how do we push mankind out into yeah. the stars and get these multitude of worlds and this giant expansive universe. And what the 
warp was was something that could be manifested through psychers uh, into uh, psychic abilities. Uh, the original Warhammer 40,000 basically RPG that Rogue Trader was had all kinds of rules for, for using psionics in different ways. It also had a lot more alien creatures. There were there were warp creatures that we don't even talk about currently in 40k <laughs> that had nothing to do with the chaos gods, right. but just existed in the warp and would occasionally come out and attack psychers who attempted to manifest things from the warp. Anyhow, the projected course of humanity was an evolutionary and mutating thing. Was the big thing at the time in the throughout the 80s is the idea of mutants was uh, right. on the rise. Yeah. You know, you had more you had more talk in terms of the X-Men and uh, more terms of nuclear waste and the kinds of mutations that could come from this kind of thing in sci- science fiction. Yeah. And um, so humanity was mutating in all kinds of different ways. You had uh, different abhumans. You had the beastmen. You had the ogrins. You had the, the squats. The ratlings. Wherever, what happened to them? The ratlings. The It was a lot more like fantasy, Warhammer fantasy yeah. in yeah. space. Yeah. 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 They had, I mean, they used to have the Skaven. Yeah. There was, was a lot of parallels. I mean, it's still there, but not not nearly as much. Yeah, things no. have gone. Things have gone by the wayside. And so. the ability to tap into uh, the warp and use psychic powers was one of the mutations that yeah. uh, that was happening within humanity. And the, the, the that's still the case, though. It is still the case. The emperor was the one who recognized that this was the path for humanity and set up this sort of administration in order to round up and keep this from happening because ultimately the uh, human uh, race was on the same course that the Eldar were on wherein they were tapping into the warp and they were ultimately going to, it was going to cause the downfall of the human race and the creation of a new chaos god. And this is something that came out in the second book here, this this Slaves to Darkness, um, which introduced the chaos gods into the Warhammer 40,000 universe. They weren't there uh, throughout Rogue Trader. There was no mention of the chaos gods at all in those. Question. Yeah. Originally, how many were introduced? How many Chaos Gods were introduced? There were two books that came out back-to-back. There was this one here, Slaves to Darkness, and there was The Lost and the Damned. Slaves to Darkness introduced Korn and Slanesh, and uh, and, uh, uh, Zinch and uh, Nurgle were introduced in uh, Lost and the Damned. So they brought in like their diametric opposition Mm -hmm. together, basically. Yeah, that's exactly how that came in. And those, these are absolutely fantastic books. The Slaves, the the Slaves to Darkness um, uh, is is brilliant in terms of introducing those two Chaos Gods, and then throwing in all the kinds of rules that you would use to incorporate them both into fantasy and into 40K, because these these books were. Uh, designed for to, to operate with both, and so it brought in all the emperor's children, and which were obvi- I'm sure were in the fluff at that point anyway, because they were there before the fall. They were just retouching on. This is where you introduce the fall. The Horus Heresy didn't oh. actually get introduced into the Warhammer Forty Thousand universe until these Realm of Chaos books. So it's just ancient history that they didn't talk about. Until yeah, that point. yeah. This this was stuff back that was story. It yeah. was stuff that was supposedly on the back burner when they launched the Warhammer uh, uh, Forty Thousand uh, book, the yeah. initial Rogue Trader book. But it, they, it was something that they announced that they had more stuff coming for this, and then they they rolled it all out in this Realm <laughs> of Chaos books, and it was. Uh, it was amazing stuff. These books are great. So just to go through, the artwork is absolutely incredible. Ian Miller is the name of uh, one of the prime artists on these. You also had John Blanche that pr- produced oh, a whole Blanche lot of 40K. I've never um, liked John Blanche's art. I, he's the one with the, the yellow and red, like, uh, well, <laughs> really, I'm, really... I, most of his art, I think of as black and white, but it's, it's like, it's really messy looking, like... Yeah. Yeah, okay. I have never I think, wanted I to fight I, you more than I want to fight really? you right now. You like I, I love John. That is, uh, it's so 
true like that is such a dividing line yeah. like either mm-hmm. you love that yeah. or you fucking hate it yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, it just looks like puke <laughs> on paper to some people yeah ian ian miller's got um not i wouldn't say a, a similar look he's got a much more chaotic look to his stuff in these in these realms of chaos books but it's cleaner you know it's not mm-hmm. as messy as john blanche but it's still just all over the page yeah they, they look like doodles a lot of the time yeah. like just kind of scribbly doodles emergent well. faces and all kinds of just yeah. little gribbly bits coming out of the artwork it's uh, I think it's it's, it's very it's, abstract yeah, I think it's gorgeous sure. he's, he's, pretty, he's pretty good at capturing different textures in in the drawings like there'll be, be backgrounds and there's tons of detail and tons of texture but I just don't really like the the, the style. design of it yeah it's just not my style hmm. um, but anyway ever read uh, 30 Days of Night the comic yeah, and that's the same style. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Throw me crazy. Yeah, I tried to is read that. that. And this is this is Ian Miller. This yeah. is this is. I like that. I, I like no, this is this great. is John Blanche over here. <laughs> for this, the, those nice, of you at sorry, home, you might have to do a uh, Google search for these images. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah Actually, I don't. Like I, I like all that. Yeah, yeah all yeah. of that looks pretty good. Yeah, I might be thinking of something else. This this here is a great example of Ian Miller's work. Oh yeah, that looks great. That looks fantastic. This and this book is chock full of this stuff. He's he's done he's done tons of great illustrations. Extreme detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah and beautiful stuff through here. Yeah, it clearly had a huge influence on just their design back yes. then. You yes. could really tell. I remember going through this all book as a kid, yeah, hide, hiding this book from my parents. Uh, yeah, you know, right? really? um, oh yeah, absolutely. It's demonic. <clears throat> this well, it is demonic. It's straight up demons, man. I mean, this is what this is. But this was, was one of the things that really drew me in there. Page after page of these magic demonic blades. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the, this book had a ton of different uh, ways of uh, making your own individual characters, your own individual uh, chaos lords and demons. Yeah, back and it, then, man, and it was you all really by you know random chart. There's a there's a flow chart in here between the different ways you get gifts and and uh, possessions and all kinds of sort of things from the chaos gods and how eventually you'll turn out as a chaos spawn or a, or a, a demon lord. It was so much more like an RPG. Yeah, yeah. Than, than a tabletop game. This is very much an RPG book. Yeah. Is there any Blanchetsu in here? Well, any what? Blanchett or whatever his name is, I call him Blanchett. John Blanchett. Yeah, yeah, there is. There's the, there's a, there's a guide at the start where you can where you can look for the uh, illustrator's symbol there. He's got he's got the six pointed star here. Uh, that's that's all the John Blanche stuff. Uh, okay. Even when it comes to trying to find out who did, you're like, all right, we need to correlate this table. And, oh, that's who did it. All right. It's a deep and complex book, man. I'll tell you that. But it's but it, but both this one and the uh, the Nurgle Zinch book, Lost in the Damned, are. Um, are chock full of great Warhammer lore. So Kevin, what are your favorite four K books? Um, yeah, the Ga- the Gaunt's Ghost books are, are definitely up there. Um, I was I was actually going through and writing down how much uh, how many forty K books I own, and it actually occurred to me as a passing thought. I don't think it's true, but I was like, I might possibly have read more or as many forty K books as as I've read of like everything all of else combined. I don't think that's true, but I was just totaling up. I was like, I own 17 of the Horus Heresy books, and I've read, really? I've read probably about 25 of them. Uh, wow. I own about uh, I own 11 Gaunt's Ghost books, but I think I had like 15 at one point. I've got the Eisenhorn trilogy, the Ravenor trilogy, the Salamanders trilogy, and the Last Chancers trilogy. And that's oh. just my 40k stuff. I've got plenty of fantasy wow. ones besides that. Wow. So I had no idea. Yeah, I mean. We found your definitely like you know fifty, sixty, seventy, forty k books or something like that somewhere in that area. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but salute, sir. Salute. There really is just a ton of stuff out there. I think that you know apart from the the Ravener and Eisenhorn, the um, uh, Beckwin trilogy, the Dan Abnett stuff, 
that I like is the is Sandy Mitchell's uh, CFS Kane books. I like the. I never read those. The, he's it's the uh, comedy, comedy it's books. The comedy. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's the comedy in the 40k universe stuff. It's just kind of like this uh, self-serving commissar uh, trying to make it through the. Is this the one that's always running away from battle and yeah. surviving? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard yeah, about. He lucks through all these. <laughs> Just and people are like, oh, he's so amazing, situations. and he's yeah. just like trying to survive. Hero of the Imperium, right? You know, and it's just this guy trying to get out alive, and it's just this stuff just tickles me funny, man. I That's love that. Great. Yeah. His major attribute is luck. Luck, right? yeah, yeah. Luck. He's, he's very lucky, you know, to stumble onto a Gene Stealer cult if that happens to be lucky, you know, some kind of thing. Anyway, I, I like those ones. I like the Sandy Mitchell books. I think they add some of the more uh, the slapstick back in the 40k because. I think there was more back in the day, and there's oh, more. there's tons of funny stuff in these books. Yeah, the orc codex, the fluff in there is always how absurd it My is. My favorite part of the Rogue Trader, uh, they've got they've got a lot of background into the various alien races mm-hmm. that existed in the 40k universe. Tons of different alien races in this thing, including um, just straight up vampires. You can have, you've got vampires in the 40k universe. You want to you want to complain about the blood angels looking like vampires? Well, too bad. There are actual vampires in the in the 40k universe. <laughs> it was fantasy with a sci-fi setting. Yep. Yeah. Here My favorite was the uh, Katachan face eater. It was kind of like the the face huggers from from Aliens, right? Oh, yeah. Except rather than being this little xenomorph sort of thing that would scuttle along the ground and jump on you, it looked like a towel, like this sort of nondescript. Fluffy thing like a like a chunk of moss that would hang from a tree and then it would drop down on you and and grab onto your face and and then inject eggs into your face, and um, the description of this thing uh, specifically says because of its uh, appearance to a washcloth, it there were many uncomfortable and and well publicized events where these things would be hanging in people's bathrooms and then you know people would just wipe their faces with this alien thing and that was just the kind of thing you think twice about washing your face now yeah yeah. Not something that really comes up anymore. In the, that the greatest threat in the 40k grim dark future is you know bathroom safety. Yeah. <laughs> God forbid you start drying off your nethers first. <laughs> it's a face eater look. It's got no appetite for that. What about um, Nathaniel? What about uh, the fluff? That where do you get it? Since you're not reading the novels, you get in the stuff. What's favorite? Uh, well, I mean, I, I get it from the rule book and the codexes that I own and have owned. I love it. I mean, I, like, there's, there, it's always like, you know, when you're talking about rule book or codexes, you're talking about like three pages at a time. It's like a little mini story. Yeah. But they're all they're so well written. Yeah. That it just it just pulls you right in anyway, even if you don't have a novel to read. So, and that you know, it's that's smart of Games Workshop. I mean, it's a great way to. To push people to read the novels too, because they give you such great fluff just within the codexes and the rulebook. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, and it also gives you something to draw on when you're building your army, mm-hmm. trying to make fluff for your army. So yeah, the the intermixing of fluff and rules really gives you something to kind of latch onto when you're trying to figure out how your army looks, how it behaves. That Not only that, thing. but like it, it also just gives you more of a reason to stick with it. Yeah, like uh, the the fluff. Clearly, in my opinion, it's the best fluff of any game. I agree. That's ever existed. That's that's my opinion of any of any game I've ever seen across mm-hmm. across platforms. Uh, it's deeper. It's more expansive. It pulls you in, and there's so many different layers and, and angles that you can um, identify with. So if you're you know if yeah. you like the Marines or you like Chaos or you like Eldar, whatever, yeah. there's just so many different ways. So to go. I mean, th- considering. Considering its roots as sort of a role-playing game and the existence of all the 40k role-playing games that are out there, mm. where would you stack that as compared to, say, like D&D or something that has another huge, expansive universe of options in it? 
Uh, how would it like? You mean how does it stack up as far as like just the lore, the size, the scale, the lore? Yeah, sure. You know, I can't. Uh, I can't say because I don't. I, I played. I've played three point five probably like six or seven times total in my life. Okay. So I don't know. You guys probably might know a little bit more about D and D than I do. Forty uh, K. I can. I can compare it to other games like Malifaux, Infinity, sure. War Machine, and Hordes. Games like that, but as far as like role playing games, I've never actually been an RPGer, so I can't really speak to that. Okay. Yeah. So you said that uh, 40K is a fantasy setting in space. Does anybody here know the term spelljammer? Yeah, I know the I know the term that that came from. Um, That's D and D trying to put yeah. fantasy into space. So yeah. Okay. I would have to go with my vote on 40k <clears throat> after that because I would say that that failed. Spelljammer. Oh, Spell this was something they tried to do. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. An old kind of spin-off RPG. Gotcha. Yeah, like Ravenloft or. Uh, yeah. Huh. But yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to outdo it. Like so, D and D is just a fantasy game, and so you're gonna have all the. Orcs and elves and Wizards things like and that. Like you have all the same stuff that you have, all the hallmarks you have in every fantasy story. Well, 40K being fantasy in space has all of those same things. But then you put it into the Imperium of Man owning the entire Milky <clears throat> Way galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and all of the millions of planets. Um, Yet somehow strangely dependent on Mars. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, like... Yeah, of all the, the of all the worlds that you could have across the entirety of the Imperium, you, you suddenly Mars is really really important. Yeah, yeah. Well, that doesn't make maybe it doesn't make a ton of sense, but yeah, <clears throat> you know. So you open it up to where they can go all these different worlds. You know, all these alienscapes. You've got the warp. You've got the demons uh, coming in, and then on top of that, the game's been out for thirty years, and yeah. editions and editions and editions, and you know, all these novels injected into it that it just gives it so much more. Do you think it kind depth. of, I mean, I know that things have been taken out and things have been, you know, sort of uh, rewritten, <laughs> revamped. There's, there, there are different, there are different levels of canon, yeah, right? There are different right. things that, that mean, more, or have more permanence in this universe than others. Dollar bills, y'all. Sorry. Is, is it that? Is it that? I mean, is there any kind of consistency to this universe that is... Gonna carry us forward here? Yes, Space Marines sell. Space Marines sell. That's <laughs> See, it. Yeah, that's actually one of my one of my gripes with it is they have an incredibly rich universe with tons of depth and a lot of and a lot of options and everything. But at the other on the, at the same time, they also don't really advance it too far anymore. No. They like to go well, back to, to they go back to thirty k and they'll look at all this stuff, you know, and they'll look into the past. But they don't go forward. Oh yeah. And my best example for that is um, from when the the Tau first came out uh, in third edition, mm-hmm. late third edition. You know, with uh, Farsight, he was like this rogue Tau commander. Well, now in the current fluff of the the Tau books, he based on the lifespan of Tau, they only live like 40, 50 years. He would that? literally be dead of old age. From like when they talk uh, about him first branching off to now, yeah, and uh, so they had to like retcon in like that his this you know magical blade that he found has extended his life unnaturally. Oh, okay. Because I mean, if you have characters literally dying of old age and your story's not really going anywhere, it's it, you're not you're misusing it, and it's and it's so weird because the only thing I can think of you know they'll they'll kill off Eldrad in a world in, in a global campaign and then they'll retcon. Ah, that didn't really happen. You know, that's fair. Yeah, kind because of. You're talking about a game too. Yeah, you know, like but, if it was just a story, they'd be like, "He's gone." Yeah, right. But but what's 
what's wrong with advancing the storyline? Like, it seems like they don't want to upset the people, the fans of the game. That that's are, what it is. Because Warhammer forty one thousand doesn't sound very good. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is, right? We, yeah. we we've got we've got like an actual history built up to the year, you know, thirty nine 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 nine, and then they just can't like yeah. push it over it's that December thirty first. You know, you know, I mean, right up to the five edge minutes of that to thing, midnight, you know, and they've pushed it as far as they can, yeah. and they just won't pull that trigger because, and I, I'm sure of it, because the branding's not good. But they one K is. Not good. Just, I mean, it's not like people well, they wouldn't even it. have to change the name. Like, yeah. they, they, if this is where the the base of the of the story, like, kind of st- well, 30k really is, but where they've picked up is is 40k, and they'd just be like, well, that's where it started, and that's the name of it. Whether they yeah. move forward with the story and people start dying is is another. 20th you know. Century Fox is still 20th Century Fox. Uh, <laughs> but it's because when you play a game of 40K, you're supposed to be enacting your own story. And it's a narrative. That story is a narrative. You're adding Eldred, you have Lysander, you have all these That's fine. You characters, can... Hero Hammer, if you will. Yeah. I mean, Tycho for the Blood Angels is one of the few examples of a character they actually killed and left off, but his rules still make it into, I don't know if he's in the latest one, but he, like, Dead Tycho had two different stat lines in yep. uh, in the Blood Angels Codex in fifth edition, mm-hmm. you know, I'd like them to go forward a little bit and see what happens to the universe after the Emperor yeah. dies. Yeah, you know, I think so too. And like Kevin was saying, it's not like you can't have the rules for these models. I mean, why yeah. not? I'd yeah. say that if the if the original intent was to was to uh, have humanity collapse and form yet another chaos god like Slanesh, let's bring out a fifth chaos. Oh gods. god, that would be fucking cool. Right? Yeah. Yeah, every, that's the thing is everybody's on board with this. Everybody I've ever talked to about the how stale the fluff gets is on board with all this, and they won't do it because they won't, don't want to upset their fans. But they do so many things that upset their that fans. upset their fans. It's I like think, that's the one thing they're not willing well, to you do. Know, I think when it comes to uh, that, kind of speaks to how important the fluff is to them. Yeah. Right. I mean, the game itself, they, they'll just play willy nilly with it. But yeah. but the fluff, they're like, ah, eh, we don't want to touch it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah but that's, that's and, really and that does go stale. I think that's part of the reason that fantasy died is because fantasy doesn't have the the huge scope that 40k has it's, it's so much smaller it's on one world yeah. and if you're not advancing the fluff on this one single world there's nothing else you can explore well they try all like little bubbles of reality now <laughs> yeah yeah it's not even the same thing yeah yeah i think they could get away with it as a spin-off especially game spin-off game if they wanted to start treading water into those directions and stuff like 41k the box set there was know? no reason for them to have to kill off the fantasy universe. they could have brought out sigmar as a Skirmish yeah, game right. if they wanted to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that would have made people a lot happier, right? I well, would... at least it wouldn't have burned the fantasy world. I mean, there's just people that have been playing that game for decades now, have yeah. multiple armies, and then they got nothing to do except for go to play Kings of War, which sucks. So, would you say uh, a lifetime of playing that game, maybe? Depending on how old you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah That's... That one's not for like 35 years. What? It was the first. The yeah. Fantasy's been Yeah, over. yeah. Um, that one was written... Oh, do you have? I have it. Fantasy research. How's <laughs> my strong. research? Um, Brian Ansel was um, was one of the original writers on Warhammer Fantasy, and actually he was the writer of these Realms of Chaos books as well. He was a one-time owner of uh, of Games Workshop, and that is how strong Brad's research game is. Right? Oh, hang on a second. Let me go one step further. Oh no! <laughs> now he's showing off. I'm gonna. Yeah, I, actually, I'll will save that. I'll save this for the for the for the game portion of Warhammer Forty Thousand because I want to talk briefly when we get into that about the game that Warhammer Forty Thousand was based off of. Oh, well, okay. With that note, let's take a break. <laughs> Before we um, do that, let's talk about uh, some video games. Yes, please. Okay, let's talk about some forty K video games.
You're listening to Skill and Bones Radio. Damn, son, where'd you find this? Inevitably, anything that is a good tabletop game, I think, gets rolled into a video game. At least it seems that way. One should hope so. Right? Thank you, Kickstarter. Great way to promote. Yeah. Um, 40K has got its own video game following. I think the first one I ever heard of was Chaos Gate way back in the mid-early 90s. I never got a chance to play it. Anybody here? Nope. Mm -mm. Um, So, honorable mention, Chaos Gate. Moving forward, my first 40K video game was Firewire on the PlayStation 2. Yes. And this was also my very first first-person shooter game. Um, my introduction to the Tau. Really? Yeah. That was your first person. That was your first first-person shooter. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's sad. <laughs> I'm not saying it was no, a good. No, no Golden Eye. No Perfect Dark. No, no, none of that. Wow. Easy. Look at these two. Jesus. <laughs> well, speak, guys. What People, you know, oh, oh, I don't want to derail. I'm just. I got it. I, I got to give you some shit. That's all. Yeah, I do. Wolfenstein, you know, jeez, all that. Nope, Fire Warrior, huh? Yeah, Yeah, role-playing games for me earlier. Yeah, Fire Warrior was the beginning, but now it's all changed. Now it's Overwatch, but we're not going there. (laughs) (laughs) Not this month. Not this month. Um, Is that a game coming up? Oh. Don't start. Don't start. Oh, no, I won't get off go down that route. Oh, sorry. Okay. Right, right. <laughs> Deep because they just added another character, and I can go off on that. Turn it. Turn it. Turn it. Dawn of War. <laughs> turn into the skin. Turn into the skin. Dawn of War is great. Dawn of War was great. I think it. You're right. It brought a lot of players from the video game side into 40k, in my opinion. Yeah. A lot. I, I remember that. I remember seeing a lot of players saying, "I played this, this in Dawn of War," but you know, Dawn of War was the straight up uh, real time strategy game. Yes. Mm-hmm. I just say that so that it has. Been it was set. StarCraft with 40k. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It was the the base building was a lot more streamlined. Like there weren't yeah. multiple different resources that you had. It to was go simpler. Yeah. It was a little. You had to play a little more aggressively. You had to go and capture command points, yeah. and that's where you got your resources from. Rather, than can you imagine resource management in Warhammer 40,000? Yeah, It'd be crazy. It, I would love it. It'd be interesting. I'm not sure if it would be good, but anyway. well, there is a tiny bit of resource management in the psychic phase, at least. Yeah. yeah, that's the only part where you do have to do it. Though. That's true. Yeah, Dawn of War had more like army scale and uh, uh, squad uh, squad movement uh, size stuff. You had yeah. a lot more of the kind of uh, not the heroes, not the not the big characters on the board, but you were just moving a lot more basic troops around the table. Mm-hmm. Yes. Whereas your big, your big of, units was like a dreadnought, maybe. Right. Whereas yeah. Dawn of War Two was like uh, pure skirmish. Yeah, and hero hammer. I mean, it yeah. was. It was it was bringing in um, all of the big yeah. hitters for the big, you know. It was super tactical, though. Yeah, yeah. You needed to get to cover if you put your guy yeah. out of cover. In the first one, it was what Raven Guard, right? Yeah. Yes. And they then introduced the, the Raven Guard. And then the second one was oh, it was, it was still Raven Guard. Was it Raven Guard again? Okay. Yeah. And the third one. Um, I don't know who the third one is. I think it's probably a Blood Angels spinoff. Well, that'd be interesting. The big thing about um, Dawn of War 2 for me was Last Stand. It's you and two buddies, and you get to be a hero of any of the uh, uh, the armies in the game, like Imperial Guard, Tau, Orcs, Chaos, Space Marines, and, oh, and Tyranids are in there, and you took on these waves. You three of you took on waves of uh, enemies coming at you, and that I played for days. Really? Yeah. Literal, literal days. I love that game. Mm. The thing about Dawn of War 2 that they did really well is they just continued to support it. And they continued, mm-hmm. even now, to, to, to roll out new stuff for it. Mm-hmm. And th- there's yeah. so much stuff in the 40K universe that they can throw at this game. They just did a really great job at keeping up that production of keeping the game fresh and, and adding new things to it. They so. did the same thing with Dawn of War 1. There's yeah. like three expansions. Yeah, but Relic has just been really good yeah. at, that, yeah. at that particular model. Yeah, yeah for sure. But like THQ have done really well for those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Chaos Rising and Retribution. Yeah. 
Space Hulk came out, and that's just a literal translation from the board game into a video game. Yeah. If you like Space Hulk, the board game, you like Space Hulk, the video game. Same thing with Blood Bowl, right? Yeah. Yeah. Both of them had some minor interface issues that made it a little bit uh, clunkier to operate, and so I think I would have preferred the 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 board game to it. Um, But, uh, yeah, you can't really argue that the atmospherics weren't there for it. I mean, uh, it's always fun to play Blood Bowl for just the... uh, Screaming, shouting announcers, and that sort of stuff. They really do a good job at pulling in the feel of the universe into these uh, video games. Although Space Hulk feels less like you're playing a 40K game and more like you're playing Aliens. True. But I mean, you know, Space Hulk. I think that does. was the, always the intention. Yeah, 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 it, for it, sure. It's it really just how G Steelers like, are, right? They, yeah. yeah, they've got that 40K aesthetics, but it definitely feels like you're playing. Yeah. 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 Which is awesome. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Yeah, I love that game. It's a fantastic movie. So, yeah. <laughs> James Cameron is the shit. <laughs> um, moving right along. Moving right along. Uh, Space Marines was a really good uh, addition to the first person shooter um, stable of video games. And so I think it was third, third person. person. Yeah, I don't think that person. was third. Yeah, it was like over. It was a shooter, damn it. It was over it was the shoulder. shooter. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a shoulder, uh, third person shooter. Yeah. But it was really good and it was fairly popular too. I, I knew a lot what of What was that on Xbox? Uh, it was like a download or something 3, like that. Yeah. PC and all yeah. that other yeah. stuff. My favorite thing about Space Marine that I saw was the video. <laughs> don't my... worry. That's just my crotch. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> my favorite part of uh, Space Marine was the remake video that somebody did of um, of uh, Hulk Hogan in the role of the main character diving out of the plane <laughs> and blowing up stuff on the way down to the planet side. It's Brilliant! Just like this, this uh, Space Marine in American flag draped uh, armor, uh, <laughs> it, with with Hulk Hogan's head and sound effects jumping out of the jumping out of the uh, uh, Thunderhawk and uh, diving down to the planet surface. <laughs> nice. Yeah, this cool. is on Space Marine. Yeah. The, okay. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, and my last honorable mention here, I haven't played it yet, but I'm, I'm considering it. I don't I kind of stay away from uh, massively multiplayer online games anymore. But uh, Eternal Crusade looks really good, and I've heard good things about. it. I don't know anything about it. Um, this, it's okay. an MMO. For, oh, oh, okay. 40K. Okay. <laughs> they sort of delved into the MMO arena a couple of times uh, in trying to compete with uh, World of Warcraft and uh, EverQuest. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, didn't they? They did a, a fantasy one yeah. like years ago. Warhammer yeah, yeah. failed. Did, did it fail? Was, yeah, so I, many companies kind of tried to get onto that bandwagon and just yeah. got crushed underneath People World of Warcraft. People were really excited about it, and then it was just like... Well, poop. What happens every time somebody tries to go out, you know, tries to get in on the the wild market is they'll they'll come up with their their exclusive aspect, like oh we we contributed this thing, and the wild's like cool, we'll take Yoink. that, and yeah. then people are like okay, why would I switch? Wait, now? Blizzard steals from Games Workshop? <laughs> this is completely unheard of. To me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just the latest chapter. I didn't prepare for that at all. Did you prepare for that? No, no, no. Okay, um, I'm gonna get some of these facts wrong, but originally. Blizzard was slated like um, Warcraft was supposed to be uh, Warhammer Warhammer Fantasy. That's what that was, and, and that project failed. So it went forward with Blizzard as Warcraft, and that was the birth of Warcraft. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, if you look at uh, Starcraft, a lot of their um, who what's the alien race in Starcraft? Protoss. Thank, no, not the Protoss. Zerg. Zerg. Thank you, Zerg. A lot. There's a lot of similarities between the Tyranids and the Zerg. A lot yeah. of similarities between the Protoss and the Eldar. Yeah, yeah. definitely. What? Yeah. No. Yeah. And the Terrans and the Space Marines. And the Space Marines. <laughs> Protoss always looked more like Tau to me. Uh, yeah, but I suppose that's yeah fair, except psychic. You know. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so there's a long and rich sorted history between Blizzard and Games Workshop, but considering how IP unfriendly Games Workshop is, they've stayed far, far away from Blizzard. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, Blizzard doesn't need them, really. Oh no, they they, they make their own money now. So you've you've gone through a list of good games. Oh, <laughs> that is by far. Not the complete list of games that have come out uh, from the uh, 40, uh, Warhammer 40,000 universe. You'll notice that none of those games are uh, app games. <laughs> yeah. So do you, have you played it, many of the uh, apps, the, for, the 40K-themed apps? You did. You did. You're, you're not cringing. Not a 40K one. Not a 40K one. Well, I played the Warhammer one. Oh, the war, which one? Warhammer Quest? Yeah. Yeah. Because I like Warhammer Quest. Yeah. Warhammer Quest was fine. Is it like Silver Tower or something else? Yeah. Actually, Warhammer Quest was kind of like Silver Tower. It's a top-down kind of like that. Yeah. Right? You know, it's, it's just adventuring. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, you but know. it was bad. It wasn't no, no, bad. No, no it, it was good. Oh, it was, okay. it was, it was oh. probably the only good app that they've really done that I could think of because so many of their stuff is like tower defense, sort of plants versus zombies style. So bad. Of, you know, just waiting until the Bane Blade gets here and <laughs> shooting it a whole bunch of times. It's, it's like, it's, it's just clicky, pointless stuff, you know? The, um, the one I, uh, I played was, uh, Regicide. Really? Um, that came out, yeah, and I was like super looking forward to I'm it too sorry. because you know what? I loved battle chess back in the day. Uh-huh. I thought it was great to play a game of chess where the chess pieces would come out and just annihilate each other when they when you capture pieces. And what could be better than just taking the gore level up by ten thousand you know right. levels and, and doing it on the forty k level? And this was what regicide. That's was. what regicide was. It's it's battle chess in the forty k universe. And so they they took it and it's you could play a classic game of chess where you know pieces move and they kill each other and then move into their spaces. But then they also have this entire campaign, fully voiced campaign. Campaign uh, where you're supposedly trying to just take out this one uh, Luda, you know, because it's Space Marines versus Orcs through the entire thing. Sure, and um, classic. And so you're trying to t- you're trying to take out this Luda, and so you have your regular moves and your pieces. It's just chess puzzles, you know, trying to take this one particular piece with oh. without get losing your guys. You've got an objective. You've got an objective, yeah. and there's and there's like cover on the board on the chessboard that you know your pieces can't move through this space. So you gotta you gotta look for your alternate paths, and your knights are suddenly much more you know useful. Your your uh, assault marines with their jetpacks, which are the knights. You know? So is this under one of the good games or one of the bad? Games? Yeah, I, this is a lot. It's, sounds like it's good. It sounds but I it was like one it's going to be yeah. good, right? The problem is is <laughs> that it's really slow to load. Uh, it's got it's got horrible loading times. The um and and when I I got it for the iPhone. Right, and the touch interface for it is really bad because you're trying to like you're trying to like you know pinch and, and zoom out and move around the board to get things, and then it's a chessboard, so anywhere you touch, then that that's where the whatever effect is going to go off. Right? And so and so it screws up. There's no undo function on it, and so oh, no. it's that's, so that's full of frustrations is what the problem is. It's it could be a really good game if they would just throw in a goddamn undo button. You know, yeah. or, or give you like a confirm, or a yeah. confirm some yeah, sort of some yeah. sort of confirmation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would yeah. it would go a long way to fixing the problems with that, but it, it doesn't seem like they have any interest in doing that. So, and that was a free download, right? No, no, of course not. No, all these GW games are going to cost you like three bucks to to get on the iOS, um, or fifteen bucks if you buy them on Steam. Um, the other game that came out this year was the Battlefleet Gothic Armada. I've heard good things. I've heard good things as well. It's sort of middling in the reviews. It sounds like it's got a few uh, interface problems. The reviews that I read uh, said mostly that it was uh, too difficult. Um, mm. It apparently has a lot of really... Huh? <laughs> Whiners. <laughs> well, it could be. It could be that they're just not putting enough enough into it. And that there's just not... It's just not all there yet. You know, and there's so much more that you can pull in for BFG in terms of the other fleets. They're doing, uh, I know that they're working to add like ranked battles and that sort of stuff to it right now. So there is support going on for it. They do have listings for upcoming features for including other fleets that will be added to it. But I think it's one of those sorts of things where it's going to be like two years, you know, like Blood Bowl. It's going to be two, three years down the road and then you're going to pick it up on Steam sale for, you know, $12. Mm -hmm. 
So, um, with the full game included. Anything? Yeah. Uh, yeah I <laughs> you got anything? I haven't played very many 40K. I haven't played any of the games other than Dawn of War. Uh, is it things the only 40K video I game I played a ton of Dawn of War. I do remember that, that the first time that I saw the Dawn of War 2 trailer, I just about shot myself. That thing was so yeah. amazing. Is that the one with uh, where the orcs like running up on the Dreadnought? And, or is that the first it's one? It's the Eldar. It's, it's the, the one with the, it's with the warp spider like zipping back oh, and forth yeah, through there. Yeah, and the, and, that uh, was the, awesome. The Dreadnought, Dreadnought grabbing the, the Howling Banshee out of the... sliced down. Oh my that. gosh. Yeah, it was great. so brutal and so... Uh, amazing uh, for the time. I mean, it, graphically, oh, dude, it looks yeah, just it was, absolutely. I actually watched that again last it night. It still looks and, good. Uh, it yeah. still looks good. Well, yeah. it's cool to see a dreadnought that doesn't look like it's just like a box. A box. Oh yeah, it, it was, it was totally know, to lift like up the howling banshee and then put the heavy flamer in its face and just did. You know, yeah, it didn't. It wasn't like amazing. spinning. It's uh, had it was like spinning yeah, its arms. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Sure was. Anyway, it was great. Great trailer. Anyway, cool. Great game. Yeah, there it is. That's a wrap. Is there anything that's besides the MMOG that's uh, that's it? Oh, Total War. We should mention. Oh, wait, wait. That's Total that's War fantasy, is fantasy, no. but that's fine. You know, Total War and and uh, um, uh, Mordheim um, is another oh, yeah. one that uh, came out for the, on the fantasy side of things. When did that happen? It's uh, this last year. Yeah. This last year, Mordheim came See, out, and I, it's a direct. I think, again, like that's that's like they really do use these video games like to. Like test the water, yeah, to relaunch, and it's a direct actual. translation of the Mordheim board game. That's fantastic. What you want to do? They yeah. like I, I've I've thought for a long time it'd be it's really beautiful. cool if they just did that for for 40k and stuff as well. This isn't what I don't understand. I mean, I, I know that they kind of want to keep their their baby going, but I think that the the amount of audience that they could reach, yeah, in terms they, of selling, if they uh, launched video games, 40k, like if they launched a, a video game of 40k. Uh, and then continue to expand upon it with with uh, expansions uh, <laughs> to to bring in all the armies because it's a huge game um, and all the units and everything. I thought maybe the reason that they stayed away from it because is because it would actually cannibalize their tabletop. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know. I, I think Thanks if they so. were smart about it, I think if they launched that and uh, continue to reduce prices on miniatures, mm. like they could actually have like a huge. A huge growth resurgence in, yeah yeah because they're, they're doing it already but they're not doing like they're not actively doing with 40k 40k is expanding anyway mm-hmm. uh i don't know exactly why maybe that's only happening here i don't think it is i think it's overall but uh there's a lot more tech coming in terms of like the virtual uh tabletop games that are out there you know uh just just sort of the 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 virtual play space tabletop simulator i think is the name of it where i've been i mean that's i think everyone's been like like fantasizing about that forever yeah because yeah. it's because it's a really it's a labor-intensive game <clears throat> like yeah. playing a, and it's awesome but yeah. Your back hurts if you do it all day. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're bending over, like you know, you're. It's it's. Uh, yeah. If you if you had actually like a uh, some sort of um, digital imaging type of type of table where you didn't even need a tape measure, you'd be like, okay, we're gonna go this way and this many. Like it would be. Amazing. You got pre measuring now, right? It would be so, amazing. I mean, it would be fantastic if you know it's straight out of like Star Wars where yeah. they're where they're playing their video game. It's yeah. just like that. And an honorable mention um, in Dawn of War, you could. Uh, you have your own colors, so that was really fucking easy to paint my army. <laughs> and yeah, I actually yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There is that aspect as well. Yeah, the hobby is just like done. Yeah. yeah, I went blue and I went red, and that looks great. Let's go. So we know that Games Workshop is listening to this. So let's uh, yeah, just encourage them to uh, to perhaps consider uh, once again to give us a proper uh, turn based uh, Warhammer Forty Thousand computer. Game. Oh my god! And if they relaunch Fantasy while you're at it, yeah. Be fantastic. Do it. Let's talk about Jesus. the actual tabletop game, though. Yes. In just a minute. Ah, who needs it? <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. 
Give me a number between 1 and 100. 93. 93. So that's going to give us oddballs and special operations. They had, what is this, like 8 to 12 pages of potential subplots and plots for your 40k game, your mission things, that you would roll randomly as you were coming up with this thing. Oh, so uh, give me 1 to 100 then. That's... Uh, 35. 35. It was a daring escape from the high security jail, but you managed to reach the spaceport and steal a ship before the authorities realized you and your gang were gone. First stop was to travel to your secret hideout and recover the hoard of stolen money slash goodies you hid before your capture. Your betrayal by Abdul Goldberg cost you your liberty, but he'd never get his hands on the loot. As you begin to recover the stash from its burial place in the jungle ruins, you are suddenly attacked. It is none other than the treacherous Goldberg who probably engineered your escape just so he could follow you and steal your loot. Take that, Goldberg. This is the plot of your Warhammer 40,000 game. Nice. <laughs> and now, we're at this point where we draw a card and see which objective we go to in order to capture and hold and maintain our story and our battles. I'm sorry, but... <laughs> they, just, they just moved away from having all this extra in-game resources to... Well, I'm sure they did it for a reason. Do you think that this was in opposition to what the players wanted, moving away from that, or because now it seems like they've got no, they've got everything segmented now, where yeah. it's like here's tabletop, over here is yeah. Dark Millennium, where you can yeah, play. Sure, you know what I mean. They yeah, they sure. just kind of quarantine people off into things. I, I mean, it's no longer it's no longer an RPG, right? This was no, the RPG. yeah, it's, it's no longer an RPG. yep. When did they go corporate? I I know they went Con- corporate, oh oh, uh, when, oh public like yeah or public yeah two thousand. Five? That sounds like that's somewhere close. somewhere in that area. Yeah, because that's when they really started homogenizing. It was when White Dwarf turned shitty. Like White Dwarf turned shitty almost oh, exactly at the same time. That was an unfortunate fall. Yeah, yeah. I loved White Dwarf. Yeah, White Dwarf used to be the shit until yeah. until they went public and then it just became the catalog. I, I I felt like. I mean, I've heard it's gotten a lot better now, but. Or, yeah, I don't even know. Actually, I haven't opened one and looked inside one in so long. I have no clue. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised because that's kind of. The direction that everything seems to be going is that they're kind of they're kind of bringing things back. Yeah, I've heard they brought uh, in more of the hobby aspect and stuff yeah. like that they used to have in the White Dwarf. All the yeah, and there's and, and there's like um, like Codex expansions in there. And oh, really? And stuff now again. And so you know, I think that what the the old guard wants from White Dwarf, there's probably a lot more for them there than there was a couple years ago. Let's yeah. talk briefly about where how we got in. Oh, okay. When did you first get exposed to Warhammer 40,000? Me? Yeah, the tabletop game. Terrain. Terrain? Terrain. I, I wanted to build terrain. And uh, I picked up a white dwarf because it had terrain in it and a how-to article on how to build terrain. It was ruins, actually. Mm. <laughs> and I built my first terrain out of um, masking tape and cardboard. And yeah. And then after that, I did a, um, a castle, which I still have. My daughter plays dolls on it. Cool. After that, I did a really shitty alien scape because I didn't know about what color composition and the hobby very much, but it was train. <laughs> when, when was this? Uh, it, was, it was at the time when the Necrons became an honest-to-God army. Fourth third, edition. Third edition. No, I was in on third. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was at the tail end of third. Yeah. What about you? I started playing in 2001, which is the summer between middle school and high school. I had some friends that had been playing it for a while, uh, both fantasy and 40k, and I just was like, nah, nah, not for me or whatever. But I played this uh, old video game called Rune, and it was like you were a Viking, uh, just like a third-person action game. Mm-hmm. And they, in one of the chapters of that game, you go to the dwarf realms, and I got pulled in. I was like, the dwarves look pretty badass, and I was like, oh, are there dwarves in fantasy? Started playing fantasy, and then within like a couple months, I was getting into 40k too. Oh. So I got into both simultaneously. Huh. 
it's uh, easy to do when you you know live with your parents don't have to pay for anything but except for your models <laughs> except for your models but i was doing crazy amounts of chores that summer like mowing the lawn like doing yeah. all these extra things to yeah. get whatever money i could yeah. I remember I I remember a few things, but I remember uh that there was a game store in my town called Games Plus that I bought um a bootleg copy of Rogue Trader printed in a red paper cover from the back of this guy's trunk and uh sat there <laughs> and just oh, yeah, totally. Uh and 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 sat there and just poured over Rogue, Tr- Rogue Trader again and again and again and was just so enthralled with the um universe and the and the and the the, the crazy rules that this game had um originally. Uh the tables, the charts, the lists of mutations and psionic powers and the, the way that they had all these robots that would operate on pre-programmed uh, uh paths that you would have to write and that you would have to further extend the uh programming that you did for the robot if the robot had particularly low intelligence, you know, so the stupider your robot was, the more instructions you had to give it in advance, that kind of thing. <laughs> the the fluff, the universe, I you know, I fell in love with the Rogue Trader book and then went out and picked up these uh, Slaves to Darkness and the the Realms of Chaos books. And then started looking into the uh, Eldar, the second or the first Eldar Codex came out. It was the second edition Eldar Codex, and uh, just really got into into the Eldar, the Jess Goodwin drawings that were in there, the uh, sketches of the uh, striking scorpions and the howling banshees that were in there were just fantastic. I got the original uh, set of metal models for the Harlequins, you know, and the and the Harlequin fluff that uh, accompanied that book was some of my favorite. And I'd play in my uh, parents' rec room with a couple friends, uh, these little skirmish battles between some uh, of the plastic beaky marines that came out, the original plastic uh, marines that came out, dirt cheap they were at the time, versus these harlequins that I would have riding around in this model of the marine transport from aliens. You know, the, their, yeah. their little battle oh, yeah, wagon yeah. thing yeah. there? Yeah. And I had that thing painted up in all kinds of crazy harlequin colors. And <laughs> I was driving my harlequins around on the floor. Because because you could do anything in the original. You know, you could buy whatever you wanted from whatever army list you wanted in the original 40K. And they had points costs in there that were completely unreal. <laughs> like, a, like, you look at the list that you would pay for orc boys in this book. It's like six and a quarter points. They got into fractions of points for for buying these things, and then, then getting into the let alone getting into the equipment list come a long and that way. sort of stuff. They yeah. come a really long way in getting this stuff organized. But I just had so many good memories of playing with these really just completely silly books of uh, of Warhammer. And then I dropped it and uh, didn't touch it again for all of junior high, high school. Well, not junior high, but high school and through college. And then it was like, got to be ten years ago now that. I went out looking for some sort of like hobby game, right? And I picked up HeroScape and played HeroScape with a friend. And we were like, you know, this is something, but it's not something. I'm like, what about that? It was what? a fun game. It was okay, but it, but you know what it didn't have? It didn't have the hobby. No, right? not at all. And, and I think at that time, what I wanted was something to do with my hands. I was getting kind of burned out on video games a little bit. I wanted something to... Tactile. To, to something tactile mm-hmm. and to have something that you could accomplish, you know, that you could see building out as you were going on to learn the techniques for doing hobbying. And once I started getting back into 40K, I was like, oh, right. This game's about building things, mm-hmm. you know. Heroescape was the one where you build your table out of like hexagrams, yeah, and, hex, yeah hex, you, hexagon yeah. Uh, shapes yeah. and stuff. Yeah, 
Yeah, I've still got great. some of that terrain, but I but the the game just had no appeal to me uh, after a little while. It was fun for just to sit down. It's like a big board game, right? Yeah. But I needed I needed something more complex. No, yeah, something yeah, totally. I needed the hobby was what I needed. Yeah, and I've I've totally fallen out of that in the last couple years, right? <laughs> but I mean, at the time, that was something that I that I just really was attracted to learning the learning the painting techniques, learning the the uh, sculpting techniques, learning the the conversion stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And it was a it was a really good time for a few years. Mm-hmm. What about you, Nathaniel? What got you in? Uh, for me, I was, I think I was like 12. Um, I was in middle school and a friend of mine who I'd been playing soccer with for years and years, I was over at his house and we were downstairs. He had, down in his basement, they had a uh, really elaborate train set and we started actually, he already had 40K minis and we were actually just starting to fuck around with playing games and we just got really into painting really is what it was we tried to play the game but it was too complicated for a couple of 12 year olds Mm -hmm. we just ended up arguing like thinking i won no i won it's like so we just ended up painting the minis Uh, i ended up putting together ultramarines he played blood angels and yeah that's all we did was just the hobby aspect because the game was just too clunky for us Hmm. so then i uh i ended up falling out of it i kept all my minis throughout like high school and everything uh had a pretty huge collection and then I came back, like, I was walking through the Alderwood Mall back in, like, 2004, I think it was. And uh, there was a games workshop there. So I was like, wow, it's been so long. So I walked in there, and there was a buddy of mine who I had played with. And I was just like, <laughs> teach me how to play. And I was just, like, right He was back working in. there? Or was he, he was playing a game. He was playing a game. Yep. Yep. It was wow. just like that. that. Weird. Right yeah. back in. Yep. Wow. So. Yeah, and it was, and it just looked cooler then than it ever did before. Because I mean, the models have come so far. Yeah. I mean, when I got into it, every single dude was just standing like a square. You know what I mean? Like yeah. your devastators were all just standing there with like it was just all the same things, and and the uh, the rhinos all looked terrible, and mm-hmm. you know it was it was fun, but the the models have just come so far. So and that brought me back into it because that's what I did was the hobby. So <laughs> and that was in yeah 2004. So that'd be fourth ed. The, the hobby aspect, uh, I could see like in the beginning of my 40k career where I put a lot of effort like on my Necron army. I even put the the shoulder the emblems like mm-hmm. I cut out the the, the, the decals, the decals, and put those on there, and then I glossed <laughs> over it so it looked all nice. And every squad had a distinctive look. And then as I collect more armies, like my paintings, like <laughs> yeah, I think like at least for me, like I was driven when I didn't have an army. Once you have a, an army or two to put on the table. Like you don't have that urgency no. to to have like because I'm I'm quite a completionist so like having like a, a crappy unfinished army to put on the table really bothered me so I you know I ground it out for a month or two until I had a painted army and once you've got the painted army then you start to reject or start to resent every little change that they make that lets you not play that army anymore yeah. you know yeah because it just signifies work yeah you, you put know, in like, so oh, much work and it's not worth anything anymore once, yeah. once it's worth something once you finished it and you can play it you can display it and you, and you feel good about it you feel done you, you don't want to go back yeah yeah I mean yeah. if you're gonna go back to cutting things and painting things it's for something new not to redo not to rebase because they put them on bigger bases or something like that. Oh, God, they did that, bases. didn't they? They did, yeah. Marines are on 32s. Uh, and then, like, I had to rebase all of my bikes. Because yeah. they used to be on the Monstrous Creature base, the 50 mils. Oh. And now they, you know, they've been coming out in different sizes. So I, you know, I uniformed them all. But it's just, it's frustrating when you have to redo your bases. Yeah. Or Especially if they're scenic bases. You're like, oh, you yeah, no, you put in so much work <laughs> to those things. 
Or they yeah. change your gun because you don't play Space Marines. Now this gun no longer does that. This gun now does this. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, you know, the big advocacy for magnetizing stuff. Yeah. yeah. But that's its own expense and work yeah. as well. So. Yeah. Who's a good modeler? Not me. I would have the most garish magnets just like right there. I don't know. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. I got one note here that I want to go back and touch on since, uh, since we can talk about where the, what the state of the game is now. I wanted to go back into the history of this thing and real quickly, even prior to this Rogue Trader book that I've got here, which was written by Rick Priestley and published in 1987, Warhammer was based, Warhammer 40K was based off of a 15 millimeter game called Laser Burn, written by the co-creator of Warhammer, uh, Warhammer Fantasy, Brian Ansel. Brian Ansel also wrote the Realms of Chaos books uh, that brought in uh, right. Chaos, and he was a one-time owner of Games Workshop. Okay. Uh, it was a skirmish level game. You're generally talking about 20 models per side, which makes total sense when you start talking about the missions in Rogue Trader, where, where it got that influence from. Yeah. More RPG, more skirmish game, less bulk to deal with. Um, but it, it did have a few expansions that developed it into about a 50 model per side uh, unit scale game with this expansion called uh, Imperial Commander. And so Imperial Commander, also, there was also this, uh, this supplement called Forces of the Imperium, which had a lot of this, uh, similarities to the Imperium of 40K that you saw start to develop in Rogue Trader, including things like Dreadnought Armor, Bolt Guns, Power Gloves, Vortex Grenades, Conversion Beamers. This stuff all came out of this game called Laser Burn. It, it, you begin to see the, um, uh, the, the sort of the structure of the Imperium coming out there. And the, you had these powered armor units that didn't quite look like Space Marines. The original sculpting of the uh, of Space Marines did not come around until a little bit later, until, until um, around 1986. Um, but uh, the essence of Space Marines was there in this unit called Black Guard. You also had the Inquisitors, the Inquisition, uh, Lord Inquisitors, and then the uh, Arbides, the, the in the form of the uh, Sentinels, that sort of had that whole um, Judge Dread motif, mm -hmm. you know, which was uh, big then. And that stuff all carried forward through Rick Priestley and through Brian Ansel into the development of Games Workshop. Quick note on the Arbiters, since you brought it up. Yeah. There are fans that have been drooling over an Arbiter army forever. So the, the strength of that fluff is very strong. I've, I've oh, seen it's it deep. It goes many a long forms were like, oh, I want an Arbiter army. Oh. Yeah. I, uh, you, I wouldn't be surprised if they had brought it out. I mean, they've been bringing, I mean, with Mechanicus and there's a couple of Skitari and Except it doesn't quite make sense for the tabletop war the level Arbiter type stuff to have the cops out there on the on the battlefield. I mean, is like, that what they were? I, yeah, yeah, they're, they're the police. Know. They're the police force okay. of, the, of the Imperium. The, were, they were the oh okay, and these are the Judge Dread looking right. The people keeping law and order on the Imperial planets. It doesn't really make a ton of sense to on send them into the front lines no. against the orcs. Yeah, but, yeah. Know? If your planet's being invaded, though, sure, sure. Like, I could see him being a specialist unit for an Astro Militarum. Yeah, hey, I'm sorry. The what? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the guard. But uh, yeah, I can see that working because they're all humans, and you know, that, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. What about now? I mean, where do we stand now? It's, it's come a long way. It's really 30 years out now from, from this publication. I, I, it seems like the community is growing quite a bit, at least here. Oh, yeah. uh, I, you know, we can only take that as, as the microcosm that it is for the, the overall community, but uh, we've got a lot of new blood like in just Games Workshop in general. With all the, with all the uh, specialist games coming out and with their start collecting stuff that they've launched, everything, it seems like they're just making it a lot cheaper for people to get in. So. Is that right? Yeah. Way cheaper. Like, um, 
good example, Age of Sigmar, like the rule book is $25 now. Oh, wow. Yeah. When was the last time anything? When is any, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm trying to think of a rule book for any system that was $25 besides yeah, Malifaux. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what the 40K codexes were when I first started playing back in yeah. like 2001. Yeah. Is that just because there has been no attraction? Oh, to I'm Age sure. Of Sigmar uh, I mean, I mean is it out of necessity that they? Of course, it it's down market low? forces. I mean, yeah. they're they're having a hard time selling their products, so they're going to reduce the price. But they, I mean, they're they're doing a price reduction along with releasing General's Handbook, which actually allots points to units. Oh. So they're totally rethink like redoing. It's like a relaunch yeah. with a huge price reduction. Hmm. Uh, and it's not just that, but I mean like fantasy minis, like all like 40k stuff, it's all just like being reduced in price. Yeah, cuz I went on the GW website uh night before last and I was just looking at what what new stuff was out there and I was and I saw some Space Wolves not codex but a, a side uh, campaign book that they had up there where they were selling the the enhanced digital version for $75. Okay. The digital, that the seems, e-book, the that e-book seems, version. That seems it. like the opposite of what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 And so, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's, that's a cash cow for them, so I can see why they might, you know, special edition books, even yeah. if they're digital, uh, that's just money <laughs> for them. And, yeah. you know, it, and it's it's a specialty Admittedly, admittedly so, the regular non non-special yeah. edition was only sixty-five, so <laughs> <laughs> well what's an extra ten? That's smart of them. Yeah. But yeah. you don't need that campaign book to play forty K No, of course not. It's yeah. the it's the specialty stuff that's always like as far as like forty K supplements and stuff and and specialty uh, editions of rule books and stuff are always gonna be more. Yeah. But uh, it seems like the the entry point to the game, like they uh, are definitely doing something to try and make it easier for people to to get in. That's cool. Yeah, I love. Actually, I've I've like completely fallen back in love with 40k again. Convince me. <laughs> Sell me, shopkeep. Man, it's. I just like like I said. I think that it, it's easier to to fall back to devote yourself to it again when you see the the uh, direction that Games Workshop is taking. Yeah. That like you know it's when they give you a little bit of faith. That makes it easier for you to invest a little bit more time and money yes. um, when you think that they're actually making good financial decisions. Because if you, if you think that the company is going to be gone in five years, you're not going to spend five hundred bucks on another army. No, no. So uh, I think they're doing a lot of good things. Like I like I mentioned before, I think they're they're expanding into they're reintroducing people to the specialist games. They're reducing prices. Specialist games and video games are a great way to introduce people to the larger games. Um, so what, th- those are all good moves. You talk about you talk about reduction of prices. What I mean, what is being reduced? You you had mentioned the Age of Sigmar book earlier. Age of Sigmar in general has been completely dramatically dropped, but that's that's uh, you know out of necessity more than like a smart move. Well, you know we we could say that, but Games Workshop, you would think that that was the case before, but they would continue to make bad decisions. So they're making good decisions on Sigmar. The start collecting launch, it, I think, was a, was a great idea. What is that? Uh, it's these like ninety eighty five dollar box sets for each army, where okay. you get about thirty percent off. Okay. Oh, they actually had discounts because I remember the bundles that that they used to do. Those for, bu- for like a lot bundles. of those bundles was like basically model for model. No, pro- it was it was it made no sense. There was no. They were just lumping things together at full retail. Yeah. So it made no sense. Start collecting is totally different. These are basically introductory forces. To each army okay. at a, at a much more re, like you know at less than a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's all they are really. What kind of stuff would you be getting it for for that? Well, it depends on the. I mean, every army has their own. They only have one. So like 
Uh, off the top of my head, like Eldar have uh, a tank and three jet bikers and then like a Farseer, I think, or an Autark, a character on a bike. Okay. Uh, and that's like 85 bucks. Uh, the, the Space Wolves have um, gray, uh, what is it, gray hunt, a unit of gray hunters, uh, a wolf lord, car- a captain, basically, a spaceman captain, uh, three Thunderwolf Cav. I can't remember what else, but these are all, they're all pretty good deals okay. for 85 bucks. Yeah. So, yeah. You used a term when we were playing last time that uh, you felt that 40K was now a 40K play your way, like more, yeah. you could bring whatever force you wanted. It felt more like the old days when you could, you know, just. Well, that was, yeah, what I was saying was that I felt like 7th edition might be the best edition because you can play 40K the way you want. And what I mean by that is there are rules in, in the basic 7th edition rule set where you can play completely competitive, highly structured, or you can play extremely narrative, APOC style, where you've got rules for flyers, super heavies, all these things are in the basic rule book. You don't need to go to Forge World for this um. stuff, you know? And you've got everything in between, and, and it's really not hard to bring it down to, to a very highly structured, good, solid tournament game when you bring things like ITC and Community Comp combined, all of a sudden you've got uh, an extremely well-balanced game. Pardon me, um, what is ITC and what is Community Comp? ITC, in, Independent Tournament Circuit, it's just the, it's the most widely used um, rule set for, for people going to tournaments, in, at least in North America that I know of. And they've got, you know, they, they replace certain rules, like they, uh, they've got an errata for like D weapons and things like that, just to, bring, to tone things down. Things like uh, re-rollable two-up saves or a two-up then a four-up. You know, things like that to, to bring things to a little bit more to reality. Then you bring in community comp for the list writing. So it limits how you compose your list. Then ITC brings in the rules to change the game just a little bit. You've been a pretty big advocate of the community comp uh, thing. And oh, I love it. Trying to push it around here love it. more. Uh, how's that been going so far? We haven't been. I haven't been pushing it around here outside of the games I've been playing. Okay. We're, we're kind of like in, like, I don't know, research mode right now. I think I've I've really have kind of landed on where I want to what I would like to do as far as like launching something and that's what I had mentioned before with uh, ITC community comp combo. And community I, comp is a way of rating the armies that you have uh, your army lists in order to make it a more balanced yes. uh, battle and to uh, adjust the outcome of the game to really decide who was the winner. Yeah, well, I mean, it's basically how I would describe it. It's a handicap. It. It exa- exactly. It's a, it's a handicap system. So if one person's bringing a beardier list than the other guy, the guy with the with a really powerful list is going to actually work, have to work harder in-game to earn the same amount of points that the guy with the more milquetoast list. This is not something that's directly compatible with a strongly narrative sort of game, so this is more for the uh, straight competitive Well, I, I, it's... Yeah, because in in a narrative game, you don't need to do that nearly as much because people aren't trying to break things. Uh Um, When it comes to playing competitive game, 40K is... uh, The rule set as it is is um, a little too open. Okay. So without bringing in a comp system of some kind, um, if you want to game the system really hard, you can, and this really limits that a lot. Okay. Uh, like it specifically attacks things like redu- like over over redundancy. Yeah. You get really hammered hard on that uh, to the point where you just don't do it. There's just like, and that's what I like about it. You know, you you can't bring two wraith knights. 
And and honestly, ITC does that as well. There's uh, ITC only allows one, only allows one Lord of War. Formations aside, you can't bring more than one Wraith Knight anyway. Mm. Um, even if there's a formation to bring in twelve, you can't do it. Huh. So and then community comp just comps you down for all those things. You yeah, pay a price for what you bring. I've only looked into community comp just a little bit, just um, in relation to Dark Eldar and Eldar, because that's. The, that's all I play. What's your take on it so far? Um, yeah, it seems like it's it really really punishes um, like so. Guardian jet bikes are a really good example. Um, the best way to run them for you know cost efficiency is take a minimum squad of three, give them all scatter lasers, and you know they're you've like got the, a half the, you've got walker the, squad. Yeah, it's as a, a troop choice, yeah, they can move the forty eight inches in a turn. It's the perfect troop choice, really. Yeah, um, it's insane. But they if you if you instead if you take it down to having just one scatter laser. And um, and increase that unit size to just four, and it, it, then it, like it's not comped hard. It's not comped at all. So it goes from like this is a this is a heavy tax if you run it this way. If you do just these couple tweaks, it's fine. Now that obviously creates areas for people to uh, manipulate that a bit, you know, because you just find out what the yeah. line is and yeah, then you sure. go right up right to up that to line. It. But that's what it, what's what you do anytime you're trying to restrict people yeah. and you yeah. come up with these rules. Yeah. Is people always will can figure out where that line is pretty easily and just and ride that line. But it it really really disincentivizes uh, any sort of min maxing. It seems like it the does. sort of system that requires a lot of playtesting, a lot of people out there participating in it in order to figure out where those lines are and how bad the situation gets if people start to you know enter yeah. to this. And that's where they came up with the name. Uh, they're constantly yes, yeah. they're constantly conversing with the community and figuring out what needs to change if anything. Yeah, and just in a couple conversations I've had with Nathaniel, I've seen the Dark Eldar. It's a it's a living document essentially. I mean, it's it cha- it's updated pretty consistently. Mm-hmm. Like it, it went in there, you know. I looked at it one one month. I looked at it like three weeks later, and some of the things were different. Mm-hmm. This is something so. that that is kind of you, like you've it. really got to stay on top of, right? Uh, there there've been a couple of attempts to do the uh, like the Anatfac was uh, a while back, where people where fan groups have tried to get some sort of organized list of FAQ'd rules or or changes to the system in order to make things more fair. Or yeah, but the Anat was successful. It was. Yeah, it was successful. They yeah. just, uh, it fell off and now it replaced with the ITC. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, every once in a while these kinds of these kinds of groups will come and they'll try and organize the community at large in order to have a more cohesive set of rules that, uh, that seem more fair because GW doesn't do it themselves. Since uh, competitive stuff is not really where they want to go with the game. They don't want to really necessarily foster that sort of thing. And I think that's something that they're also changing. Uh, really? They, yeah, I mean, they've been launching tournament kits for one thing. What? Yeah. GW. Yes. What? 40K's right. got a tournament kit coming. Yeah, what exactly. Time? What? Yeah. Games <laughs> Workshop's got a tournament kit coming out soon for 40K. Um, that's a that's a big change. Uh, and change. Do you know what it is? No, but we, we're, we've got one coming. I don't know exactly what it is, but uh, we're, we're going to try and participate with it. Yeah, and, and they, they've reopened the forums. Um, so you know they're in communication with their with their customers and stuff. Well, this is a recent change. It's yeah, big too. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, because they shut down tournament scene a long time ago. Yeah, well they realize. I mean, I don't know why you would uh, want to nix a perfectly good demographic of, of your customer base. I mean, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The uh, CFO that they brought in is is making great great decisions. They clearly shopped around, got the right guy, and he's making fantastic decisions. He's new. So, yeah, like six months. Oh. Wait, but is he new to the company or just new as CFO? I don't know. I think he's new in that position, regardless. Yeah, 
Um, I think he's in house. Okay, but well, I mean that's, that's well that's that's, that's, fine. that's he's making he's making great decisions, and yeah. I mean if he's in house, that means he just has a better knowledge of uh, what you know doing. their product line and all that. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's encouraging. Um, you have a, a URL a website for the community comp. Uh, communitycomp.org. Oh well, that's easy. Yeah, real easy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now, is is the thing that I was going to ask earlier is that it, it, since this has constant updating, a constant. It's tweets, really easy to keep up with though because they it? have. I mean, they've they've organized everything into sections, and they've got what I, I don't know. I don't know what the words they use, but we'll just call it new stuff. Like any uh, recent changes, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah, you can just hit that, and it'll bring you into. Okay. Uh, and, and they're and they're all highlighted. And yeah. Like oh, recent changes, I think yeah. is blue. That was always really. Yeah, it makes when, it really really easy to when, tell what's happened. Yeah, when GW did Army. that to their facts, and they would keep the most recent changes highlighted. As yeah, the, as those yeah. things rolled out, that was that's really just a smart useful. way to go. Yeah, yeah. good. Because that was that was my big concern is that. You'd get invested into a particular army, like we were talking about before. You would build towards a particular ideal, uh, and you'd spend a whole lot of work getting this stuff looking and just right, just and then some the little end. tight, yeah. you know, and that's lost work. Some yeah. kind of little tweak. Kind of, but at the same time, like, I'm willing to take a little bit of a comp hit on, on something that I'm like, well, it's Makes what, I, it's what I want to run. You yeah. Know? It's yeah. what I'm into. I like this unit. It gets comped a little harder than I think it should, maybe. And that's but fine. You just, you know, you just tailor points somewhere else yeah. so that you can yeah. compensate for that. That's one thing where I differ from you guys. Like, you guys, I was a collector. I just wanted to play the games. You guys were very much hobbyists in, in how you went forward with your games and stuff like that. I mean, they were just play pieces. Like, I just want to play this army and play with these mechanics. Which is why you don't buy Games Workshop models anymore. Yep. <laughs> buy standards, and they look awful. Yeah. <laughs> but I get to do what I want to do with them. I know. No, I, I don't mean the paint job. I mean the models. Oh, no, like, the paint job. I mean, ga Games Workshop, uh, you know, hey, love them or hate them, but, dude best plastics on the planet. Amen. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Let's just admit it. It's yeah, true. Always do. Yeah. Always do. Oh, Brad. Yeah, fine. Okay. <laughs> sure it is. Yeah. It's true. The amount of bits and everything like that that you get for a it's, squad. It's ridiculous. Oh God. And if they continue to reduce, pro like I keep telling, I talk to my rep every week because I, I make my orders with them and uh, I, I tell them like everything that that I want and what I hear from my customers and what I, what I think they're doing well. It seems like they really are like communicating with their with the people who sell their product, with the people who buy their product. That's good. Because so, for the longest time, that was one of my biggest frustrations. Oh, yeah. It's like it's the 21st century. You Communication has never been easier. Yeah. It's not hard. Yeah. There's no reason not to communicate. Yeah. I know it's not apples to apples, but I don't think it, the comparison is that far different. But video games can do it instantly, and they, they do. I think Games Workshop could have done something better. I mean, you, you can work with your community to get a better product. Mm -hmm. They just wouldn't. They weren't doing it. They just weren't doing it. Yeah, I think that, they that, seem to be making changes, so and they're good ones. I wonder so. if the death of fantasy was kind of the wake up call as far as that, because fantasy, the reason they pulled it, you know, sales weren't there, which makes sense. Shut down a game if the sales aren't there, you can't continue justifying it. But the community was still there. Everybody already had their armies, and everybody was already playing their armies. But when you delete that game, then all of a sudden you're going to hear that feedback, whether or not you're actually have your ear to the ground at all. I think it was actually the opposite side of that same coin. I think really? it was Age of Sigmar that was actually the catalyst for all uh -huh. these changes more than the death of fantasy. You mean yeah. like it was a product line that was going to come along and so they had to wrap it up? I think it was like it's easier to listen to uh, a lack of sales on something that you newly launched than oh, people oh. bitching about something you took away that you weren't selling anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They really can quantify that into dollars they're not making. Yeah. So I think Age of Sigmar, and again, like I've the conversations I've had with my rep tell me that they're aware. Yeah. So, I mean, before they even launched the General's Handbook, they were telling me to go check out this, this uh, 
PDF online about rules for Ages. I mean, they've been like this has been on their mind. So How to fix the, the failure of Age of yeah. Sigmar, okay. and um, you know, so they've they've taken measures to fix that game itself, and I think just the their whole line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, those specialist games have been really popular. Like Age of Sigmar was the catalyst, I think. Yeah. So. So the fans banded together, spoke with their dollars, and GW listened. Well, yeah, that's that's the easiest way to get someone to change is just don't give them your support. Yeah. yeah. Yay! I did it. Yeah. <laughs> Brad's strategy worked. Hey, me too. <laughs> you uh, bought Age of Sigmar, didn't you, Kevin? <laughs> God damn it! No. God no. Did you? Age of Sigmar? Yeah. No. Oh. Wow. No. Hell no. The whole team. I'm not interested. I've got my fantasy armies. So. Yeah. Take that, GW. Take. It. Yeah. Well, have you guys got anything else on your on your ends? Bring back build a bugs. Yeah, build a bugs. Build a bugs. Oh, the fourth oh, edition. Oh, yeah, yeah, Nids. Fourth edition Nids. Yeah, that was yep. the best yeah. one ever. I loved fourth edition. I, I'm sorry, but I know that there was really clunky. Fifth edition. Fourth edition was my favorite as well. Yeah, the, the transition to fourth to fifth was. I, I liked fifth as well, but yeah. fourth edition just felt good to me. It's I, you know, oh, yeah. but that's the one that I where where I came back on was right at the tail end of fourth edition. Yeah. And making that jump to fourth to fifth. Classic. Uh, I, I was really on the fence about which, you know. Fourth edition codex is fifth ed rule. Book. There you go. That's where it is. That's, yeah. where, that's where it is. Because I love the fourth edition codexes. Well, so. there were some things, some rules in fourth ed that were really awesome that weren't there in fifth, though. Which ones? And they cleaned things up. Like, for example, the way that terrain worked. Like, if you were on the opposite I, side of a piece of... Yeah, they, they was a representative piece of terrain. Uh, instead of yeah. fifth ed is where they brought in true, true line, line of sight, sight yeah. which in my opinion is a mistake. Uh, this is a, like because because so nothing is true to scale, nope. so therefore true line of sight doesn't work at all, yeah. right? As soon as the scale isn't, it doesn't hold up. True line of sight shouldn't be used. Everything should be a representative model, including terrain and everything else. And that's how it was in fourth. Uh, if you had a vehicle on one side of a forest and your enemy was on the other, they couldn't shoot you. Yeah, that was an example. It, of, it was of how it was it height. It was infinitely high. No, they uh, had height zero, one, two, and three. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that representative it could have been and could have and should have been cleaned up by Games Workshop. That's again that could have helped to continue that. True line of sight took a lot of arguments away. I felt. I thought it actually added. Yeah, more. I think it adds more because it's not as it's hard to check that angle. And then when you when you're interacting with like say like a forest and you have a unit move through the forest, you pull the trees off. Then they move out of the forest, you put the trees back on. The trees are in a different spot. It's blocking line of sight now that it might not have been. Which blocking is why, before. like the way I don't know I how it, a personality issue actually. <laughs> we like to fight. Yeah. We like to fight. That's about why, like rules. the way we play it, at least the way I play it, uh, when it comes to forests, is they are actually basically like a throwback to fourth ed. Yeah. Where it's a representative piece. Area yeah. terrain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If yeah. you have actual true line, like you can't move anything. Yep. The and then you can't put anything in it, yeah. and that just doesn't work. But and, and terrain has changed. Like the oh. evolution of terrain throughout the the editions of 40k has changed so much because of this. You know, yeah. now yeah. we are training, especially here in the beautiful Dark Tower games. The terrain here is beautiful. It's wonderful, and it's all very utilitarian. <laughs> Before, like your train was not utilitarian. You know, yeah. you, had, you had some artistic piece of something or other, and it looked great, but you couldn't functionally use that very well. Yeah. No. Miles would be tumbling. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, one one quick thing. Eldar Eldar family has never looked better in the 40k universe. The, <laughs> Bringing in the the Harlequin Codex, I I think like between Eldar, Dark Eldar, and Harlequin Codex, my God, you can do whatever you want. Well, with, with the pointy to... the pointy-eared space jerks are back. Yay! <laughs> but did they oh, ever yeah. leave? 
Yeah, they, just, they they're left. better than that. Yeah, ever. they left. They they're left they're really while. cool, and the Harlequin Codex, even though it's the bar none worst codex in the game, it is super fun and actually pretty fucking effective. Fluffy? If you know, it's fluffy, it's fun, it's beautiful, uh, and it's it's not bad. Mm, I'll check it out. Yeah, man. I have been wanting to build a Harlequin army. Oh, man. I, I put it I together. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's definitely, you know, it's a it's a project for the ages, but it'll be cool when it's done. Yeah. And they again, like just the playstyle, they're really fun. If you want to play close combat in seventh edition, it's the only way to go. They're the best close combat army in the game. Make a mistake, it's punishing. Super punishing. I'm gonna steal some thunder if you don't mind. Thunder away. Alright, um, Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, but soon we want to be trying down here at Doc Taylor Games to be throwing some more events for the 40K side. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll just, just do a quick plug. Uh, plug Warhammer Wednesdays is what we're, we're trying to do. Uh, give Warhammer, the just the, the universe of Warhammer, whether you want to play Fantasy, 40K, or any specialist game, Wednesday is the time to come down, 6 p.m., uh, Hopefully we can get some resurgence. I'm trying to uh, also, we're looking at uh, possibly doing tournaments at the 1,500 point level. Huh. Want to bring it down in size. We'll do ITC community comp combo. So but what time do you want to be you thinking about starting that off, kicking that off? What month? Um, I'm not 100% sure. There's like different things in the works as far as like possibly starting with a kill teams campaign, working up to a doubles tournament. We're trying to figure out what strategy we want to we want to go with but check out Dark Tower Games on Facebook yeah you can go to go to our Facebook page you can also go to our website darktowerlgs.com and that's fairly frequently updated for all the yeah. events and stuff yeah so and also I, I would just recommend anybody who's in the area who actually frequents the, the store uh, join our five star program because that way you'll actually get specific messages about the games that you're into so if you join and you say I want to be notified about 40k you can get text messages specifically about 40k and nothing else, letting you know when events are happening, you know when sales are going on, things like that. You know, for as much time as I spend in this store, I know nothing about I what know. you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, you have a Twitch channel for that hot, fast Friday night magic action. Yeah, for for magic streaming, we we of course do that on Twitch as well. There's wow, a lot. There's a lot going on down here. Yeah. So it's it takes a little while to get things going because there's a lot of shit to do. But yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for hosting us today. Yeah, yes, for thanks sure. For having us. Thanks for having me. Is that it, guys? Is that a rest? <laughs> Boss.